It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome back to our Daily Thunder series on victorious living. And in this session, we're going to be talking about living with eternity's values. So we've been looking at practical ways to go after more, to pull up those tent stakes, and to radically follow after Jesus Christ and to recognize that this is real Christianity. It's not just for extreme Christians, it's for all Christians. What does that look like practically in our lives? So some of the practicals we covered in the last two sessions, first pursuing Christ first, and how do we truly pursue him first in the midst of our busy, distracted, easily distracted lives? And then we talked about removing safety cones, those things we cling to for comfort and security, just busting those out of the way and saying, Lord, I'm removing this and letting God actually do what he wants to do in our lives. So if you missed those episodes, I encourage you to go back and watch or listen to those. In this episode, let's talk about how do we live for eternity's values. And one of the most practical ways to go after more and catch that vision of victorious living is to make heavenly decisions. And a lot of us don't approach life that way. We don't think about eternity when we navigate our day or make our daily decisions. But here's a key truth. If we want to choose radical devotion to Christ in a world of mediocrity, we need an entirely new approach to decision-making. Not what do I want, but what does he want? Not what will make me happy, but what will bring him glory. And oftentimes this means making the opposite decision of what our human mind or emotions would naturally want. Now, we are surrounded by a culture that really reminds us on a daily basis that it is our right to do what makes us happy. That's looked at it as a very high virtue in our culture today. But as Christians, we need to say, nope. It's not about what's going to make me happy. It's going to it's it's about what's going to bring him glory. And amazingly, ironically, not ironically, but incredibly, when we say, Lord, it's not about what will make me happy, but what will bring you glory, and we make those decisions that maybe in the natural human tendency we have, we wouldn't make, we actually discover true happiness. We discover a fulfilled life that we could never find any other way. But it's hard to believe that when we're saying, okay, I'm choosing something that I would wouldn't choose for the glory of God. Is this really going to lead to misery or is it going to lead to happiness? I want to read to you a story from history. Is a story of Lord Craven, who was a very wealthy Christian man during a time when the plague was raging through London and thousands and thousands of people were dying. And the only escape really was to leave the city and go away to the country. Most people couldn't afford to do that, but the, the very wealthy could. And so most of them had fled the city long ago. And here's the story. Lord Craven lived in London when that sad calamity, the plague, Raged. His house was in that part of town called Craven Buildings. On the plague, <clears throat> as the plague and the epidemic grew, his lordship to avoid the danger resolved to go to his seat in the country, which apparently means he had a different house in the country that he could go to. His coach and six were at the door, his baggage put up, and all things were in readiness for the journey. As he was walking through the hall with his hat on, his cane under his arm, and putting on his gloves, in order to step into his carriage, he overheard one of his servants saying to another, I suppose by my lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God lives in the country and not 
in town. The speech struck Lord Craven very sensibly and made him pause. My God, he thought, lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will even stay where I am. The ignorance of that servant's comment has just now preached to me a very useful sermon. Lord, pardon my unbelief and the, the, that distrust of thy providence, which made me think of running from thy hand. He immediately ordered his horses to be taken from the coach and the baggage to be taken in. He continued in London, was remarkably useful among his sick neighbors, and never caught the infection. Now, Lord Craven did a complete 180. His decision was suddenly based on heaven's reasoning rather than his own self-protective devices and safety cones. And God backed him up when he did that. He was able to help those who were sick and dying the way others who escaped, the, the wanted to escape the, the death and the disease never could, and he never caught the infection. And I love that because God had a higher purpose for him, but he had to be willing to say, it's not about my comfort, my safety, my protection, what's going to make me happy, but what's going to bring him glory. Now, that doesn't always mean we stay where we know there's danger, but if God calls us to do that, are we willing and do we trust him? Remember, the four fishermen versus the rich young ruler. This is something we talked about in our first episode. When Jesus called those four fishermen and they were mending their nets, they were with their father, they had their whole business, they responded immediately. It says that they immediately left their boats and followed him. But the rich young ruler responded with immediate hesitation. Even his desire and his passion and his eagerness to follow Christ wasn't enough to, over, to, to offset the fact that he would have had to give up everything, including his great possessions. So we have to choose, are we going to respond with immediate yes or immediate hesitation? I love the story of Stephen's martyrdom in the book of Acts because it was like he saw a bigger picture. He was constantly asking dur during that whole process where he was speaking truth boldly in the midst of a lot of lies, in the midst of the religious leaders who did not want to hear his words. It was like he was seeing the bigger picture. He probably knew that as he was speaking that bold truth, they were getting more and more frustrated with him. He could have stopped his speech at any moment as he saw that they were getting more and more frustrated with him, but he saw something bigger that God was wanting to do. And he just kept on saying, not what is going to make, make it comfortable for me or make me happy, but what's going to bring glory to God. And it was all the way to the point where he received so much hatred from those around him as he stood boldly with Christ that they picked up stones and wanted him to die this violent death. But it was like he didn't even see that. He was looking up at heaven and seeing something so much bigger, Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father to welcome him into his presence. Stephen wasn't like downcast and miserable even as he was dying. His face was like the face of an angel. And he said, behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And I guarantee you when we ask Stephen someday when we go to heaven, and we meet him, he will say, it was absolutely worth it, giving up my life for the one that I love more than life itself. How do we learn how to think that way and make heavenly decisions instead of earthly decisions? I love the scripture in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, it's easy to look at that verse and say, well, that just means if I focus on Christ, he'll just give me everything I want. But let's take a deeper look. The word delight means soft and pliable. So in order to truly delight in him, we have to be soft and pliable 
to his will and his work in our lives. And give in this verse means to deliver or to put. So as we delight in him, he puts the right desires in our hearts to match his desires for our lives. So as we delight in him, he gives us, he implants within us his desires for our lives. So it's not about God giving us what we want. It's about the amazing supernatural work of grace that changes our desires to align with his. One of the ways that you can know that you've allowed God to work this miracle in you and you're starting to make heavenly decisions is that you start desiring unusual things, things that other people look at and say, why would you want that? That doesn't make any sense. God's the one shaping the desires of your heart. Every biblical or historical Christian hero that we look up to, if you look at their life, you'll see that they made heavenly decisions that really absolutely made no sense to natural human reasoning. Let's just take a a few quick looks at, at some of them. Have you ever heard of the Moravian missionaries? It's this legendary story in Christian history. Who heard, they, these two young men who heard about an island that was owned by this atheist, and he didn't want God anywhere near anybody who was on this island. He was populating the island with slaves, and he said, God will be kept away from this island. And these two missionaries actually sold themselves into slavery in order to spread the gospel among those who were going to be on this island as slaves for life. And the legend goes, I and mean, there's different versions of this story, but the legend goes that as they were leaving the dock and they were pulling away from the shore and their friends and families were saying goodbye, not knowing if they'd ever see them again, that they said, is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. That's called making a heavenly decision. They were seeing something so much bigger than the fact that they would have to give up friends and family and comfort. They were seeing the souls, the eternal souls that they could impact for the glory of God. Lilius Trotter, we talked about her in our first session, how she gave up the opportunity to be a famous painter and a wealthy Victorian woman to go pour out her life among the slums of Algeria. Again, that was her passion. That was her desire. She didn't begrudgingly go. She went with just truly a delight soul because that's where God had called her. But it made no sense according to human reasoning. John Ruskin, who's a very famous art critic in that day, was her mentor and said, you know, she could have been one of the great painters of that century if she had gone that direction. So again, it doesn't make a lot of sense according to human reasoning, but according to heavenly reasoning, it makes perfect sense. C.T. Studd, again, we talked about him in the first session, how he, he gave up the opportunity to be a famous cricket player, gave up all of his fortune that he had inherited just for danger and complete dependence on God, and yet he didn't regret it for a moment. Oswald Chambers gave up opportunity and, and prestige and chose obscurity made no sense to the world. And yet he said, this is my greatest delight to give these things up for my friend, Jesus. John and Betty Stamm, willing to give up their lives and go where no one else was willing to go. And Jim Elliott, it says that Jim Elliott and those other missionaries, Nate Saint and the others that were there, when they were gearing up to go reach the Aka Indians or, or try to make contact with them and bring the gospel to them, they knew very well that it could cost their lives. And they all had, they were young men, they had young families, they had their whole lives in front of them. But it said that they were like, like little children on Christmas morning. And that was interesting to me because what a great picture of God shaping the desires of their heart. Something that other people would look at and say, I wouldn't do that if even if you paid me a million dollars. These young men were willingly doing it and saying, it's so exciting to us to say yes to this call that they acted like little children on Christmas morning. That's God shaping the desires of your heart. Here's the key truth. When you seriously pursue Jesus, don't be surprised if your desires change from comfortable to crazy, or at least in the world's eyes, they'll seem crazy. This is one way you can know that he is shaping the desires of your heart. 
we need to be willing to release our grasp. Let's look at what that means. The rich young ruler thought that when he walked away from Jesus, he was walking toward true happiness, a life of comfort, ease, popularity, and wealth. But in reality, he was only headed toward a hollow cavern, a life leading to nothing but regret and heartache. It was kind of like choosing a pile of worthless pebbles instead of a truckload of priceless jewels. That's what happens when we cling to our plans and our visions and our dreams versus God's for our lives. So let's not fall into that trap. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? It all comes down to our value system. Are we living for things that are temporary or things that are eternal? I love what Jim Elliott said about this. Father, let me lose my clutch on everything temporal, my life, my reputation, my possessions. Lord, let me lose the temptation. Lord, let me lose the tension of the grasping hand. Open my eyes to receive the nail of Calvary as Christ was opened. He thought heaven, yea, equality with God, not a thing to be clutched at. So let me release my grasp. When we understand the reality of Calvary, the idea that the cost of following Jesus is too great will seem like the most foolish idea in the world. Now, a lot of us have been thinking and talking about what Christians might be facing in the coming years, the kind of persecution and restriction that could come if our culture continues to go the direction that it's going. When we look at the future, if suffering and persecution come, our faith will quickly fall apart unless we have released our grasp on everything but him. And that's why I think Corey Ten Boom was able to go through what she did, her suffering, so triumphantly and beautifully because she had already released her grasp on everything but Jesus Christ. And that is one of the most practical spiritual steps that we can take in order to choose radical devotion to Christ, release our grip on everything and cling tightly to Jesus. Can we release our grasp on our future, our dreams, our ambitions, our plans, our desires, our possessions, our time, our reputation, our relationships, and even our very lives? Yes, we are called to give up something to truly follow Christ. And there are a lot of counterfeit messages out there that say you can have your life the way you want it and still follow Christ. But true Christianity, as we looked at in the first session, is taking up our cross and denying ourselves and following him and and counting and, and letting go of our very lives for his sake and saying, Lord, do whatever you want with my life at any cost. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44 and 45, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Giving up everything to gain everything. That's the moral of that story. And that's what it means to really be a Christian, to really follow Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's be like those four fishermen who didn't hesitate for a moment when Jesus called them. They knew that he was worth it, and so should we. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus says, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we truly take those words to heart, we really will we will realize we can't just put a Christian label over our mediocre living. Absolute givenness to Jesus Christ is not for special Christians, it is for every Christian.
Radical devotion to Jesus Christ is not easy. It will never be easy, but it is always absolutely worth it. If you ever talk to anyone who has radically given everything to Christ, whether there's someone in history, we'll probably have a lot of conversations in heaven with those people, or someone who's living now who gave up everything for Jesus' sake, they will always say that he was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. I love this quote from an old novel by John Buchan. You have chosen the roughest road, but it leads straight to the hilltops. And that was in an Amy Carmichael book. And I thought it was, it was so beautifully because it was so beautifully stated because you maybe chosen the hardest road, the, the rough terrain, but it leads you straight to the hilltops, the straight to the hilltops of intimacy with Christ and God getting full glory through our lives. It is always worth it. Here's the key truth. However difficult the road may be, there can be no greater joy than one day standing before our king and hearing him say the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I believe that's why Stephen was so radiant even as as he was losing his life and receiving the hatred of those around him because he was living for that greater reward well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus gave him a standing ovation to welcome him into eternity. Normally, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, but in Stephen's case, Jesus stood to welcome him into eternity. And you can just only imagine, Stephen just had this this bigger vision of I'm living for eternity's values. I'm living for what matters in heaven. And that's why he died so triumphantly. And those who live triumphantly for Jesus Christ have that same perspective. The story behind the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, is one of my favorites in Christian history. It was right when Christianity was first coming to these remote villages in India, and a missionary had come to a certain village, and only one man and his family decided to follow Christ. The gospel hadn't really been able to take hold except for in this one family's life. And the chief and all of the villagers were so upset that this man and his family um, among the, the village had chosen to renounce the gods that they had there and follow Christ no matter the cost. And so they said, "You are going. we are going to kill you if you do not renounce your faith. So he brought the man and his wife and his two sons into the middle of the village and everyone was there. And he said, you have one chance to denounce uh, your faith in Jesus Christ and just say you're going to walk away from Jesus and no longer follow him or we will kill your sons in front of you. He had two sons. And his response was, I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. And he lost his two boys because of that decision. And then they said, you have another chance to say no to Jesus, to choose not to follow him. And if you don't, we will kill your wife in front of you. And he said, the world behind me, the cross before me. And his wife was killed. And then they said, this is your last chance. We're going to kill you if you don't choose to say no to Jesus. And he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. And he lost his life. And because of that clinging to Jesus above all else, that willingness to say, I'll give up my family, I'll even give up my very life for the one who died for me. The chief said, I am so amazed by this. I've never seen this kind of devotion to Jesus Christ. I want to become a Christian. So he became a Christian and the entire village became a Christian because of this one man and his family's decision to say, there are no limits. Whatever we need to give up for the glory of God, we will give up. That is the kind of Christianity we are called to. It doesn't mean we're all called to give up our lives in that way, but we are called to give up our lives every single day for the glory of God. Are we willing to say, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. God bless. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.